What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the magnificent Monday edition of The Art. Well, we had a successful weekend in some respects, not quite the weekend we had hoped to have, but um, still just kind of, in many respects, kind of kicking the can down the road a little bit, kind of staying in contention for some things. You know, we've still got a long way to go. we still got to have some things go right for us, but uh, we took care of business for the most part. It would have been great to get the sweep, and we had a chance to get the sweep. Last time we spoke, we had, we had defeated them on Thursday night, went into Friday, had a chance to take a series. We did and come up just short of taking a sweep on on Saturday. And you know as well as I do, and we'll talk about this a little bit later in the show, is we're sitting there and Cade Smith's up 2 nothing. I turned to uh, Steph, who has recently left the Daily Journal for the Clarion Ledger, Stefan Krasnick, and said, uh, you know, I don't think two runs is going to be enough to win this game. You, know, you want to be up a little more comfortably before you have to pull Smith. And, of course, Smith had that very difficult first inning they ran his pitch count up, and then uh, he was still strong, but it was he was starting to fade just a little bit. And then we have to turn it over to the bullpen, and you guys are well aware of the fact that um, that has been a rather dicey proposition. Didn't work out for us. But, uh, again, a three-in-one week, that's a good week. You keep having those kinds of week, you're going to get in the tournament. Got a big week coming up, and uh, got what five games in eight days or so. I mean, it's yeah, we've got uh, we've we got it's gonna be a real real challenge for our bullpen. Gonna need a good outing on Tuesday. We don't know who's starting just yet. You know, is it Pico as an opener? Is it Jack? You know, that bullpen's getting awfully thin. I want to share with you too. I know many of you are asking. There is no update on Brooks Auger, and in that respect, Parker Stinnett. There's been some concern. There's been some social media chatter about the health of Parker Stinnett. And, you know, Parker's been a little bit inconsistent at times, but that's certainly an, an arm that we could use, especially to eat up some of these midweek innings. And so, you know, a bad situation could potentially get worse. We don't know what's going on with Brooks. You know, there was some an immediate concern after he had to be pulled from the ballgame. And then the next day, the chatter was, well, it doesn't look like it's season ending, but that wasn't anybody officially. That's just kind of talking to people closer to the situation. But until we get that MRI, we just don't know. And so is it a possibility he's done for the year? It certainly is a possibility. We just don't know at this point. 
And the same could be said for Parker Sinet. I asked Chris Simonis on Saturday because there was so much chatter and smoke about this. And I asked him, I said, was he available this weekend? Kind of what's the situation there? And he goes, no, he wasn't available. He's already pitched a couple times this week. But he's another one that we're watching. And so you make of that what you will. But if we start trying to piece this thing together, and we've already got a bullpen that stretched pretty thin, and you take two guys that have been regular contributors out of the equation, and all of a sudden, you know, the, the prospects of Mississippi State baseball being able to hold people down later in ball games becomes even more difficult. So that's where we are with all of that. I want to thank you guys again, as always, for uh, your support uh, of the books and all the other opportunities that I'm involved in. Uh, you know, if you're looking for books, you can find them at dogpilethebook.com. Second printing is already uh, in line. That'll be, I don't know, six weeks or so. But it looks like we're going to be able to bridge this thing together between uh, the very, very little available inventory we have with the website, but through our vendors. We've been able to kind of work out some deals with our vendors. And so if you've been kind of putting off buying Dogpile, no need to put it off anymore. You don't have to wait for that second printing. Of course, we expect that to sustain us up until, you know, the fall and possibly the holiday season. But uh, we're going to be able to string this thing together for you guys. If you're looking for signed and personalized copies of Dogpile, go to dogpilethebook.com. That's D-A-W-G-P-I-L-E, dogpilethebook.com. While you're there, you can get signed and personalized copies of Flim Flam, Stark Villains, Alpha Dogs, and, of course, Dogpile. Blim's Voliander, available through Amazon. BarnesandNoble.com and BooksAmillion.com. So lots of things out there. You're thinking about Mother's Day. Many of you said, Steve, you know, hey, Mom loves Mississippi State. I've already got her all the books. Maybe get her at Blooms of Oleander, the book of poetry. How about that? It's a little side project I did there, too. And, and Stark Villains gear, always available at StarkVillains.com. Let's thank our friends at Bulldog Burger Company, longtime sponsors of the show, and I would be a sponsor of theirs. I, I was a customer at Bulldog Burger Company long before they became a sponsor of the show. I'm a believer in Bulldog Burger Company. You know, I get a chance to get out. Sometimes uh, the only time I can see my girls who are students at Mississippi State is uh, when I am willing to buy dinner. You know, it's like I, I live out in the sticks, but uh, here's the deal. You know, when my girls moved to campus, you would think I lived in Winona. You know, it's like so difficult to get out of here. So a lot of times we go break bread at Bulldog Burger Company there on uh, University Drive and just kind of catch up. It's a good place to go. It's a good atmosphere, very conducive for, for conversation and kind of recreating with the people you love and know. And so let me encourage you, set up a family night soon with Bulldog Burger Company. The, trust me, the kids always want to go. You say, hey, I'm going to Bulldog Burger Company. Who wants to go? You're going to have a carload of folks going with you because it's a quality place to go eat. Three great locations to serve you. Absolutely, three great ones. These people know what it takes to be restaurants, uh, restaurateurs in the restaurant business, to say the least. But um, University Drive here in Star Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, and, of course, the brand-new in Lake Harbor Drive there in the Ridge and Flowood area. Go by and check them out. Have the spring rolls as your appetizer. They'll make you and everybody around you better looking. Trust me, this is the science. They told us to trust the science. This is a scientific fact. The spring rolls will make you better. I'd get that uh, chocolate shake to go when I can. You know, you know, sometimes you need a palate cleanser. You know what I'm talking about. You eat a big hearty meal and say, I just like to have a little something sweet to top this off, you know. Have the bread pudding. That's always a great option. But, too, get that chocolate shake to go. I always order mine maybe uh, as the meal is beginning to wind down because they make those things on demand. It's not like it's just something kind of poured together in the back and they just kind of 
oh, you want a milkshake? Let me just go pour you up one. Now, they make them for you uh, right there fresh, and so you'll be glad you have those. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, let's take a few minutes and let's recap the weekend that was in Starkville. Again, a good weekend for us, not a great weekend, a good weekend. You go three and one, you know, pretty good shape. You know, the issue, of course, is we, we've dug ourselves a pretty big hole here. And so kind of looking to battle back there, just not exactly what we want to be. But uh, still some room to work, still some things to do. And uh, the team's certainly capable of putting the run together. Thought we swung the bats pretty well for the most part of the weekend. Didn't get the timely hit on Sunday, but um, – excuse me, Saturday. It's one of those things, too, you know, we play Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Like, my equilibrium is off the entire week. You know, it's like – then you get into the series, you think, okay, today's Saturday. No, today's Friday. There's Friday. Um, and so Sunday felt like a, uh, a bonus day, and I needed it. I needed to get caught up and get some rest. But, uh, but let's go back and look at the magic that was uh, – you know, I guess uh, Friday, Preston Johnson on the mound. And, uh, you know, not to be you know, dismissive of Brandon Smith's effort by any stretch. I thought Brandon was outstanding. I think he makes a difference for us, too. And he may be the difference in us making a regional and not making one, to be quite honest with you. But Preston Johnson was absolutely incredible in this ballgame on Friday. I mean, absolutely did a great job for Mississippi State. So let's start with the top of one. We're delayed 93 minutes. You know, we – as soon as the game gets ready to start, we're in a weather delay that lasted uh, all the way to 7.35. We give up a double to left center uh, to Rambush, who I thought had a decent weekend for Auburn. Howell then flies out to center. We get Deshera to strike out swinging. We did a good job against Deshera. He one of the hottest hitters in the country. Bulldog pitching did a good job against him, really no matter who we put out there. And then Carlson strikes out swinging, so – we give up that leadoff hit, but then it's a one, two, three inning after that that closes with a punch, a bear, a couple of punchies there uh, to get out of it. Uh, bottom of one, State goes right to work and gives Preston the lead. And that's the thing, too. When you're pitching with a lead, you can be more aggressive. You can really attack hitters. You know, when you know that you're two runs up, one swing is not going to erase the lead. Jaeger pops up to second. I didn't think RJ. Had his best weekend. Had some good swings, but uh, not the weekend he had last weekend. But I still like him in the leadoff spot. Cam James and singles back up the middle. Hancock doubles to right center, sending James to third. So now you got runners to second and third with less than two outs. A big hit here could have made a, a huge difference in the ballgame. But we get a RBI sack fly from Logan Tanner to make it one nothing, And then Hunter Hines comes through and rips the ball through the right side. Uh, Hancock scores to make it 2 nothing. Hunter Hines... That kid's going to be a star here at Mississippi State. He already is in many respects. I still think he's got a chance to be a freshman All-American. But uh, a big hit there. Good to see him kind of get going again. Then Slate Alford, who was back in lineup again at third, grounds out to third. But it's 2 nothing after one, and you're starting to feel pretty good because you know Preston's going to give you six, possibly seven strong innings. And with the way that he's pitched as of late, you feel like that's enough to allow you to get some separation. Preston goes right back to work in the second. We get a line out to center. Cam James out there playing center. And maybe that's a lineup we stick with. I think Cam James is probably an outfielder on the next level. So it's probably best for his future. And then Pierce strikes out looking. Foster strikes out swinging. So a great effort there from Preston Johnson there in the second. Bottom of second, State has a chance again to kind of put some runs on the board. We don't, though. Uh, Kellum Clark strikes out swinging. Kumba singles to center field. Brad, a pretty good weekend for him. 
Forsyth reached zone fielder's choice. They forced Cumbus to second. I take that back. That's not correct. They actually boot this thing around. So Forsyth gets on a fielder's choice. This is when, uh, you know, they hit the baseball and uh, we're unable to kind of field it, fielding error by the second baseman. Uh, Jaeger then strikes out swinging. James is hit by the pitch. So now all of a sudden the bases are loaded. And again, you think, okay, a big hit here. We can really gain some separation. We get a 2-0 count and then Hancock pops up to short. Luke's got to come through in those situations. Luke probably has a little more clutch than most of the guys on our team, but this is the situation here. We really need the base knock there, but it's a 2-0 count. We pop up, innings over, and we leave the bases loaded. Top of third, pretty good start here. We strike out LaRue swinging, Bellow grounds out the short. Then we hit Rambush on a full count. Howell then singles to the right side. The sheriff walks. Now the bases are loaded. Now, all of a sudden, we have put ourselves in a bad situation here. It's kind of aiding in our own demise here. Gift them two base runners, and they get a base hit in the middle of all that. Next thing you know, you know, we're in danger of losing the lead here. We get Carlson to strike out looking on three pitches. Great way to respond by Preston Johnson. But, again, this is an inning, too, that kind of runs his pitch count up a little bit. But, nevertheless, State gets out of this thing 2-0. Bottom of third. And, again, traffic on the bases for State. We couldn't get it going, though. Uh, LT strikes out swinging. Hines lines out the first. And he just hit the ball right on the nose, just right at Deshera. Offered works account, works account, works account. Goes oppo there and lines a single in the right field. And then Clark strikes out looking. So we strand one. So traffic on the bases every inning so far for the Bulldogs. Not the case for Auburn in the fourth as Preston Johnson gets a strikeout looking of more, a ground out from Pierce and a ground out from Foster. Very efficient inning here. Didn't get deep in counts. Let the defense make plays behind us. That's winning baseball. That's what pitch efficiency is. I mean, there's so many college guys that feel this need to have to strike everybody out. But when you can get guys to uh, swing over the ball and beat it in the ground and you can get pitches under barrels, you can let those seven guys behind you with gloves on make plays. That's what happens in this inning. For the first time in the ballgame, State goes one, two, three in the fourth. Cumbust and Forsyth both strike out swinging, and Jaeger pops up to first. And they're pop up from RJ. Let's go. Let's go. All right, top of five. We keep it rolling here. Another one, two, three inning for Presto. A strikeout looking of LaRue, strikeout swing, strikeout looking of Bello, and a Rambush grounds out to the pitcher. So very efficient inning there again. And those are the things to keep you in ball games. Bottom of five, State leadoff runner on again. Cam James singles to center field. Hancock grounds out to the pitcher. Works basically as a bunt here. And James takes seconds. Now you've got a runner in scoring position with less than two outs. We aren't able to do anything with it. We fly out to left, and then Hines strikes out looking. Top of six, another one, two, three inning. And again, I go back to that bases loaded situation with Auburn. And after we get the strikeout looking, Preston really just kind of allows the game to kind of stay where it is. Strikeout swinging of Howell. The sheriff strikes out swinging. Carlson grounds out to the shortstop. So that's 10 10 in a row retired by Preston Johnson. Bottom of six, and this is when State finally gets some separation. And uh, it kind of really puts you in a bad spot here, too, if you're Auburn because of the fact you're starting to run out of innings. Alford strikes out swinging, and then – Clark, great job here, works it for a walk, and then Compass singles through the left side to put runners at first and second. Get both of their twin towers on base there with less than two outs. Lane Forsyth, who is improving as we as we watch, kind of growing up before our eyes, 
has a very, very lengthy at bat here and works it for a walk to load the bases. Well, then they pull Bright, and I don't know if you guys have known this. I mentioned this if you missed it on Friday's show. Counting this game, Bright and Auburn have lost six consecutive starts. That's interesting, right? It's like you look, you feed a guy out there, and it's like he, he has lost six starts in a row. But he leaves just down to nothing. Run support's been an issue for him. Jaeger, big hit here, no pop-up. It's a double down the left field line. Really pulled that ball inside the bag at third. And then uh, Cumbus and Clark score. Forsyth goes to third. So now you've got two runs in. It is a 4 nothing ball game. And now you've got two-minute scoring position again with a chance to get the big hit and really kind of put these guys away. you got them on the ropes right here. And again, a chance here with less than two outs to make some things happen. Cam James... Uh, reaches on the fielder's choice. They bring the infield in. We hit a ground ball right to the shortstop, and they get Forsyth out at home. Then there's a wild pitch. Hancock is hit by the pitch. The bases are loaded again. Another opportunity in this inning to really put Auburn away. LT grounds out to third on a 0-2 count. So, again, a good inning, not a great inning, but a long inning. Long inning. All right, Auburn top of seven. They finally snapped the Preston Johnson streak. More singles up the middle. Then there is a fielder's choice. We forced a runner at second. Just couldn't turn the double play there. What just, just wasn't hit hard enough. Then there's a throwing error by our catcher. Logan Tanner tries to pick a guy off at first here. Throws it into the bullpen. Guy comes around to third. Then they get a sack fly there, and the run scores. So Auburn's on the board. So we kind of gift them this opportunity here. You want to keep him close, but uh, an errant throw there. And listen, LT's not perfect. The guy's very, very talented. The guy's going to probably be a big leaguer someday. But uh, but nevertheless, this is one here that comes back to but We make a mistake, and they make us pay for it. And then we get LaRue to strike out looking. So it's a 4-1 ball game, but you begin to think, hey, we play a little cleaner here. It's still 4 nothing. Bottom of seven. Again, State with an elongated inning here. This is the one, you know, we had a chance to put him away in the sixth. We put him away here. Hines singles down the right field line. Then Slade Alford singles through the left side. We pinch run Skinner for Alford there. Clark then flies out to right field. Wild pitch moves both runners up. So now, again, now you've got runners in scoring position with less than two outs. This time, Brad Kumbas says, you know what, hey, I got it. Home run to left center. The ball just got over the fence. It was an absolute laser. And that's it for Swilling. It is now 7-1 Mississippi State. They bring in Granzow, and if you go look at Granzow's splits this year, he's usually kind of a mop-up guy, and he's a young guy, freshman, just trying to get some innings. It's in no way a reflection of his talent or ability. It's really kind of a measure of inexperience. And, you know, this game basically has been decided, so let's not waste any more arms. Let's kind of work for Sunday and put some guys out there to kind of move the game along. He immediately walks Forsyth, and Jaeger grounds out the second. And then Cam James hits a home run. Now it's a 9-1 ball game. Hancock walks, Tanner singles up the middle, and so you see your Granzow just not getting it done here. They bring in Isbel, and um, Hines ends up walking. Base is loaded again, and as great as the inning has been, here we are again, a chance to really get the big hit. And we and we had traffic on the bases all night. I think we ended up stranding 14, though. And then uh, Braylon Skinner strikes out swinging. All right, so it's an I-1 ball game, and this is a lot of people have worried about this and wondered about this. This this is a key moment in the weekend, even more so than the ball game. 
the ball game has been decided for the most part, right? I mean, not to say that, you know, you can't make it up, but you, when you're 9-1 in the SEC in the eighth inning, chances of you coming back are pretty slim. But how we had to manage these last two innings from pitching standpoint impacted the game on Sunday. So top of eight, we walk, we bring Preston Johnson back out. I would not have brought him back out. And it's easy to Monday morning quarterback that. And the reason that I wouldn't, number one, up around 100 pitches, the game is decided. He had to sit for a long time. I think, if I'm not mistaken, it was like a 33-minute half inning. I think that's correct. It was a long time. And so we come out, we walk Bello, and then Presto hits Rambush. So now all of a sudden there's runners at first and second and nobody out. Howell then singles to left field, drives in a run, it's 9-2, but again, nobody's out. So we bring in Drew Talley, who, who did a really good job on Thursday in the one hitter he faced, just a five-pitch at bat, but he gets us out of the jam. And then DeShera singles to left center, one of his only hits of the weekend, and another run is in. And again, nobody's out. It's 9-3, two runners on, nobody out. We walk Carlson uh, to load the bases here. And again, nobody's out. More singles to the right side. Run scores 9-4. Now, all of a sudden, it's gotten a little too close for comfort. And we have to bring KC in. You know, the hope was, is okay, let's navigate through these final six outs and we can save KC for Sunday. Now, I submit to you right now, and of course, this is a somewhat educated guess when you think about the game of college baseball. If we're able to save KC for Sunday, we're probably talking about a sweep today. This, this half inning right here, in many respects, cost us Sunday. So we bring in KC. He gets a strikeout looking. There's a single to shortstop. Another run is in, and then it's back-to-back Ks. So great effort there. So, but Auburn is back in the ballgame. You know, even though you think it's 9-5, to five, chances of us giving up four are not great, but we just gave up four. And much of it due to our own issues. You go back and look in the inning, there's, you know, Presto has a walk and a hit, a hit batsman, and then Tally walks one. You know, so it's like you look at these walks where you walk three guys and four guys end up scoring. We kind of helped them manufacture a rally. And in many respects, they had kind of thrown the the white flag out there. They're not using big arms. They're just trying to get the game over. And then we let them back in it to the point that we had to use KC. Bottom of eight, uh, Kellum strikes out swinging. Cumbeson doubles down the right field line. Again, a good weekend for Brad. Forsyth pops up to short. Jaeger's hit by the pitch, and then we're back in our weather delay. Game resumes at 1126. It's a late night for us. They change pitchers, and then James strikes out swinging. Top of nine, KC is back out. A lot of people thought that may be it for him, but he stayed in the bullpen, kind of stayed loose. And so Rambush grounds out the short. Howell singles up the middle, and DeShera grounds into a double play. And this is an absolutely spectacular play there uh, to turn the double play. Tanner Leggett did a great job. Now, uh, R.J. Yeager was hit by a pitch. So when we came back out, Leggett pinch ran for him. And there was, so there was some concern heading into you know, uh, Saturday's game. You know, would R.J. be available? Would he be somewhat inhibited after being hit by the pitch? I didn't think he looked – like the normal RJ, but uh, he did play. He didn't play. He didn't miss any time. So State wins the ball game. You know, it's a nine-five ball game. Should have been should have been worse. I mean, you, and we always talk about the woulda, shoulda, couldas. But um, you know, we we managed that eighth inning a little bit better from a pitching standpoint. 
it changes the complexity of the weekend and potentially the standings and the postseason resume. Uh, looking at the Friday night heroes, Cameron James, three for five, couple RBIs, couple runs scored. Uh, Hunter Hines, two for four with an RBI and a run scored. Brad Cumbus, the hero, though, four for five, three RBIs, and two runs scored. And so with that performance, let's award Brad Cumbus our PrimeShrimp.com Player of the Game Award. Prime Shrimp, an absolutely outstanding service. And you see it everywhere now. It's like once I got involved with these guys, it seems like now all of a sudden uh, they've gotten really serious about marketing and advertising and everything else. It is a, it's a New Orleans-based shrimp company. It's so easy to cook. No mess, no prep. You just drop the pouch right into the pot, uh, ship straight to your door. It's delicious. It's on your plate in 10 minutes. One of the best things about eating shrimp is the taste of shrimp. One of the worst things about shrimp is all the preparation and cleanup that goes into that. Prime shrimp removing that from the equation. All you got to do is boil the pot of water, Drop, open up that pouch, dump the shrimp in. Ten minutes later, you're eating delicious shrimp from a shrimping company that's been around since the 1940s. Four great flavors to choose from. The Louisiana Shrimp Bowl is fantastic. Simply seasoned, the French Quarter Alfredo, and uh, the new one, you know, the uh, the garlic butter, I guess is what it is. But uh, but it, it, nevertheless, you can't go wrong no matter what you choose from here. It's pre-seasoned. It, they remove all of the, the guesswork from this. Uh, visit them today at primeshrimp.com and use promo code BONEYARD to save a few bucks on your order. Absolutely outstanding. i got to order some more. Almost out of what we got. And I've tried it all. None of it, none of it has given me this feeling like, yeah, it's just okay. No, nah, it's all great. Primeshrimp.com, your prime shrimp player of the game. Uh, Brad. Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. That's right, the Dixie National Rodeo, get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid, that was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year, and me and my brother would wear our cowboy outfits. We'd put our boots on, have our chaps, our vest, and we'd go up there, and just in case one of the cowboys got a little bit scared to get on a horse or a bull, we were willing to do it. Yeah, for sure. Guys, boots aren't just for going out to a country western bar and doing a little boot scooting. Maybe you got a little Texas two-step in your game. Tacovas can make you look better than ever. Absolutely. And here's the deal, too. That's the thing. The versatility of Tacovas is you can wear them somewhere nice or you can live life where you don't go gently. That's what Tacovas does for you. Yeah, it's a rugged, handsome boot. It's my favorite boot brand, and it should be yours, too. Be sure and check them out. Tacovas believes in Western for all people, and you can feel that when you go into their stores, when you walk in, you'll be greeted like family, offered a boot shine and a drink, and maybe even an adult beverage if you prefer, and you can get custom fitted for a new pair of Tacovas boots. You can get custom leather stamping or branding, whatever you need to make it feel somewhat individual. Look up your closest store at tecovis.com. But if you can't make it to a store, Tecovis delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And you know what, partner? Point your toes west. Today's podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast. What's the best way to help you and your finances thrive? 
The answer can be overwhelming with all the financial misinformation out there. Fortunately, you can turn to NerdWallet's objective finance journalists to set things straight and help you make smart decisions with your own money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bill so I don't dread April every single year. Managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup. Putting away more money for retirement since I'm not going to do this podcast forever. Sorry, folks. And also boosting my credit score since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. Saving for an emergency fund because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. The nerds also explain the real impact that the latest financial headlines could have on your life. Weekly financial check-ins with smart money help you spend more time doing what matters and less time worrying about what doesn't. Let NerdWallet's trusted experts untangle today's web of financial misinformation. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Add Cumbust. All right, let's take a quick look at the uh, bullpen numbers, too. You know, Preston Johnson goes seven innings, four hits, four runs, three earned, two walks, a career-high 12 Ks, 114 pitches. And, yes, we can all kind of question the decision to send Preston back out there. And that's the thing you think about, too, is you're kind of managing for Sunday, too. You're thinking, you know, if Presto can get us three more outs, then that saves you know us from probably having to spend another arm today. So I, I kind of get it, but considering the, the amount of time he had to sit – I wouldn't have fit him back out there. Just just my opinion. You know, and that's not, you know, throwing shade at anybody. It's just, you know, the reality of it. I would not have sent him back out there because he'd already thrown so many pitches and he, all he's had to do is a chance to sit around and get stove up. Drew Talley does not record an out. Two hits, a run, a walk, just 11 pitches. So just 16 pitches on a weekend for Drew, and, and one of those ends up being very efficient on Thursday, not so much on Friday. And then KC goes two innings. Allows two hits, uh, three Ks, no walks, 30 pitches thrown. So, good night for him. And Auburn, of course, got very deep into their bullpen, had to throw 169 pitches. 11 strikeouts. But, um, you know, we talked about walks being a bit of an issue for them. You know, they were a team that, you know, pr- pretty good swings at times. But uh, five walks in the ball game, and we made them pay for a few of those. But uh, got to do a better job kind of getting that t- together. All right, let's take a look at uh, game three of our series with Auburn. We talked about Joseph Gonzalez. You know, we, we, we faced him last year, and uh, he didn't get out of the first inning. He did a great job against Mississippi State on Saturday. Absolutely great job. Uh, and, you know, we, we get off to the good start here, but he settles down. And, you know, I'm sure Butch had told him, he goes, hey, the bullpen's kind of thin today. I need you to kind of work through any trouble. And you tip the cap here to Gonzalez. All right, but top of first, we got Cade Smith out there, and, and not a great first inning for him. Ended up being a good start for him. The first inning was not, though. Rambush flies out to right, howled and singles through the left side on an 0-2 count. We got too much of the plate there. If you saw the game, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Nearly center cut here. Then we walk the Shara, and then Hill flies out to center field. Uh, Howell takes third, and then Moore flies out to right. So we don't give many runs here. But we ended up throwing a ton of pitches. You go to a three-ball count with the Shara. You go to a three-ball count on Hill. That ends up being an elongated at bat. And then, of course, Moore, uh, while well, he fouled a couple pitches off there, again, it's kind of a lengthy at bat. So the only really short at bat of the, of the half inning is Howell, who singled on an 0-2 pitch. But we get out of there unscathed. 
Bottom of first. State gets some traffic on the bases here. Not able to get it in, though. Jaeger grounds out the second. James with an infield single. Hancock gets in on the fielder's choice. They force Cam at second. Uh, and then Tanner strikes out swinging. So no, no score through one. Top of second. Kate, a much better inning here. We get a strikeout looking. We get a single through the right side on the very first pitch from Pierce, who had a really good Saturday game against us. He hadn't done much all weekend. Had a good game on Saturday. And then LaRue strikes out looking. Bellow strikes out swinging. So we pitch around the single there. State breaks through here in the second. Couple long balls here. Hunter Hines absolutely murders a baseball. And as uh, my friend Junior Ray points out on uh, Facebook from time to time, Hunter Hines gets his money's worth. He never has a home run that just kind of leaks over the fence. When he barrels one up, uh, it might roll out there in the road. That guy absolutely murders the baseball. Offered and strikes out looking. And then Kellum Clark with an oppo taco. And that's one thing, too, about Kellum Clark. You're starting to see him show some power the other way. He is a big, strong guy. You'd expect that. But a lot of times early in his career, especially kind of a dead pull hitter, now all of a sudden you're seeing him drive that ball the other way. And that's also going to start getting people out of the shift. And the reason people go into shifts is because of the spray chart. So you want to change that, change the scouting report, you change the spray chart. But it's a 2 nothing ball game, and you think, okay, we've jumped on Gonzalez here, we're on him. But the kid does a good job kind of answering the bell here game could have got away from him it didn't Cummins grounds out to third and then Forsyth grounds out to first but nevertheless we're up to nothing and with Cade on the mound you start thinking you know what this kid with the lead could probably get us through the sixth and then we got to find a way to piece together nine outs here almost went to script we just couldn't figure it out top of third we walk rambush and Howell grounds out to third only play is to, is to first here. The sheriff then walks after a lengthy bat. Hill grounds out to the pitcher. And uh, we take well, basically a swing and bunt there. And then Moore lines out, hits a, a screamer on a 2-0 count right to R.J. Yeager. And so while there was traffic on the bases, Auburn can't get anything across. Bottom of third, Yeager grounds out to third. Cam strikes out swinging. Lukak then reaches on a fielding error. And then LT singles to the right side. And I don't know what was happening here. I don't know if Luke didn't see his sign or if Cheeseboro uh, just didn't see it well. Luke tries to take third, and they throw him out, and, and it wasn't close. It wasn't close. I don't, again, I don't know where the fault lies there, but uh, we run ourselves out of an inning there. Because you never know, first and third, you know, with the Twin Towers coming up, and, you know, I guess Slate Offer was coming up next. Uh, no, Hunter Hines, excuse me. Uh, the way Hunter Hines hitting the baseball, you just never know. You never know. Him having a chance to see a pitcher in the stretch and runners on, you just don't know. So that's a base running blunder that ends the inning. And that, what's, what's the old adage in baseball? You never want to make a third out at third home? All right, top of four. Still ahead 2 nothing. Foster strikes out looking. Pierce, again, a great Saturday for him. Doubles down the left field line. LaRue flies out to right. Pierce takes third. And then Bellow lines out to center field, ending over. So, again, they get a runner to second base. The runner in scoring position with less than two outs. Smith does a good job kind of bowing his back there and saying, nope, fellas, not today. All right, bottom of four. Again, State gets a chance, you know, gets a guy in scoring position, can't get him around, but it comes with two outs. Hines grounds out to second, Offered K swinging, and Kelvin Clark doubles down the left field line. Again, we're talking about if people want to work him away, that's fine. Let's just take it the other way. And so he hammers this ball down the left field line, and it bounces into the bullpen for a ground rule double. Then Cummins grounds out to third. Top of five. 
Best inning of the day so far for Cade Smith. We get a ground out to short, ground out to short, and a fly out to right field. And you can say, well, Steve, why was it such a great inning? Well, we need a quick inning. We didn't need three punch outs. We need a quick inning. And we got one. I mean, you get the first two guys on five pitches, and then the next, the final bat is just four. So you're talking a nine-pitch inning here. And that, that really kind of got Cade back on track a little bit because we were, we were way above target at this point in the ballgame. And then Gonzalez kind of matches us here. One, two, three inning. Very efficient inning for him, too. Forsyth grounds out to short. Jaeger strikes out swinging. And Cam James lines the first pitch in the center field for an out. Top of six. Auburn, again, a chance to kind of get some things going. Got some traffic on the bases. This proved to be the final out for Cade Smith. And I think perhaps one of the best innings that he has had as far as getting out of trouble on the year. Cam Hill doubles to left center. And then Moore walks. And then... In the middle of all of that, there's a wild pitch. Now you've got runners at first and third and nobody out. So the tying runs are aboard, nobody out. And we get a ground out, first base unassisted. We look the runner back there. So, you know, I guess Moore takes second, but the runner at third has to hold. And then Pierce grounds out to Kate Smith, who looks the runner back at third, throws to first. Now you're thinking we're a pitch away from getting out of us. It definitely took us five. But we get a punch out swinging and then um, – or strikeout swinging and – Cade Smith kind of uncharacteristically showed some real emotion there. That's a big moment for a young pitcher. It's a 2 nothing ball game, and all of a sudden I've got traffic out here on the bases and nobody out. The time runs are aboard, and I go one, two, three, and then the runner from third never even has a chance. We basically shut them down right here. And this is when he was starting to fade a little bit, and I say fade. Against LaRue, he had a 93-mile-per-hour fastball. Last hitter he faces, and he's still up there pumping 93. But uh, didn't have quite the bite on the breaking ball at this point in the ball game. But, um, again, you leave. And, again, I, I'm thinking if we could have got him to the seventh, you'd feel pretty good. You get him through seven, you need six outs. But I go back to the fact that we've had traffic on the bases. Not a ton of it, but we've had opportunities. You go back to the base running blunder. You go back to some other opportunities where we had runners in scoring position, couldn't get the big hit. And so Smith, as well as he's pitched, leaves with a 2 nothing lead. Bottom of six, you know, we got three, four, five up. We get nothing from it. Hancock flies out to left. Tanner flies out to right. Hines out at first on the three-to-one put out there. So, again, if I'm Auburn, I'm thinking, you know, we finally got this guy to the game. Let's go get it done. Jackson Fristo comes in, and, and, I, and I, I love Jackson Fristo. Now, he is a guy, too, that uh, has been very inconsistent this year. But – I think it's in him. I think it's a matter of just I – think, I think every problem that Jackson has is a mental thing. I think it's a confidence issue, and I think sometimes you go out there and you start thinking, okay, I can't mess up, I can't mess up, and you ultimately mess up. I just think we need Jackson to relax a little bit. He had a great outing against Memphis and a great outing against Arkansas, and we thought, okay, now we finally found something. And then he had a really bad outing against LSU, and so we put him back out there, and it didn't go, as well, go well. But you get the first guy to fly out to center, and you start thinking, okay, all right, here we – okay. Let's get into the flow of the game. We'll get him settled. It'll be fine. We get ahead one, two on Rambush to leadoff hitter, and you think, oh, let's, let's get out of this thing. We hit him with the pitch. Then it's a double to left field, and that's a pitch, too, that just got too much of the plate. And that's kind of what happens. It's like all of a sudden we make a mistake, and we can't, we can't flush it. We can't move on from it. Then we walk to share intentionally. And, and I've, I've, we'd be remiss if I didn't mention that Rambush scores there on the double to left field. 
So now it's 2-1. Pretty crazy how that whole thing happened, too. It wasn't like it was some smash or a line drive. It's a slow rolling ground ball. I mean, and and Forsyth and Alford, and this is just kind of the, you know, the inexperience of playing together. You know, the ball just kind of rolls through there. Hill singles to the left side to share advance second. Howell scores more than flies out to center field, and Foster strikes out swinging. And here's the thing that I'll say. You know, when you've got a pitcher up there that's, that is uh, kind of suffering a little bit from a lack of confidence, the defense has really got to step up and play well behind him. You really got to play well behind him. And so the seven guys behind him with gloves on got to make plays. So a lot of people immediately point to Jackson Fristo. And you know what? Can Jackson be better? He absolutely can be. He absolutely can be. He needs to be. But when he's rolling up ground balls, we got to make plays. It's a team game. I mean, it can't be up to him to just go out and strike everybody out. And so while it's his name in the win-loss column, in many respects, what happened in the seventh inning is not just on Jackson Fristo. It's on our defense. You got to make plays behind him. And there were plays to be made, and we didn't make them. And that was the thing, too, down the stretch. We were so good defensively last year down the stretch. And maybe we will be this year. But Jackson Fristo charged with loss, really, because the way this thing works out. But, um, you know, we got to make plays. We have to make plays. Bottom of seven, it's now a tie ball game at 2 2. We pinch hit Von Siebert for Slate Alford. And a really mature at bat here. And he lines a single to the right side. Now you're thinking, okay, all right, here we go. We've got the go-ahead run on base, less than two outs. We're going we're gonna to pinch run Skinner for Seabird. Come Clark then reaches on a fielder's choice. They force the runner at second. Cumbiston singles to left field. And again, a good weekend for Brad. And Clark goes to second. So now we're first and second. We decide to hit, pinch hit Drew McGowan for lane foresight. And I know we're trying to set up the righty-lefty matchup here. I get it. I understand it. you got to play the numbers. Uh, but McGowan grounds out the short, but we're able to move the runners along. Now you've got two guys in scoring position with top of the order up, and we get a 2-0 count, and R.J. grounds out to third. So, again, a chance for us to retake the lead here. You know, and while McGowan didn't get the ball out of the infield, at least it's a productive out, right? It's like you'd love to have seen him got the base hit there, but at the very least, he get, he moves the runners along, and then you think if Yeager gets a base hit, you know, it's a 4-2 ball game. Again, struggling to get the clutch hit. And give Gonzalez some credit here. He had every opportunity to fold here. He didn't. All right, so uh, top of eight here. Pierce reaches on a fielding error by second baseman. And this is I just don't think RJ got down enough here. And, again, this is a ball that just kind of rolls into the outfield. And this is on a full count. This isn't like, okay, we just go out there and throw a center cut fastball and he rolls it out there. You know, we get ahead in this thing 0-2. Then we couldn't finish the hitter, and we get a ground ball, and then the defense lets us down. All right, LaRue is then out first to third. Excuse me, out at first. There's a ground ball to third, basically, you know, the sack here. And – Pierce goes to second. So now, now all of a sudden, Auburn has to go ahead and run on base with less than two outs. We decide, we wait for, we wait for the announcement to be made about the pinch hitter. They're going to bring in Dial, and we elect then to go to Fristo. 
They then switch. Dial never gets to hit after, despite being announced because now we brought the lefty in. Well, then they bring in Carlson, the DH, from Thursday, Friday, and he gets a double down the right field line, chases the run home. Now it's 3-2. Rambush reaches on a fielding error. And, again, we've got to make plays. We've got to make plays. We're rolling up ground balls here in the seventh and eighth, and we're not making plays. Two errors in the inning for Mississippi State defense. Howland strikes out looking. The sheriffs intentionally walked, and we get Farquhar to ground out to the pitcher. So we give up just one, one run there. But, you know, we basically look at the guy that scored. And it wasn't a routine. Uh, yeah, and I'm, I'm hesitant at times to charge errors on middle infielders that have to run a long way. But this is a play that we have seen RJ make, you know, 50, 60 times this year. Pierce gets on in a fielding error, and guess who it is that scores? It's Pierce. So we gift them the base runner that ultimately comes back to take the lead in the eighth. Bottom of eight, we've got a chance to make some things happen here, and we don't. Gonzalez, give him credit, still strong, deeper to the eighth. We got three, four, five up. We go one, two, three. Cam strikes out swinging, Hancock grounds out to third, and then LT grounds out to third after a lengthy at bat there. Got behind in that count and then uh, battled and battled and battled and fouled some balls off and just wasn't able to win the war there. But it's a 3-2 ball game with an inning left. Pico back in the ball game. We immediately give off a single to right field. This is a legitimate one. It's a strikeout looking. More still second than Pierce walks, but we get back-to-back Ks to get out of it. So, again, not a great effort from Pico, but good enough. You know, and, and again, once he gets bigger and stronger, that guy's going to be difficult to deal with. I'm just going to tell you that. I mean, the experience he's getting now – it's going to bid of him so much more in the next year or two. So we go to bottom of nine. They bring in the closer, Blake Buckhalter, and we we got him. He's the guy that got the loss on Thursday. Guy's an incredible closer. Got eight saves on the year. And so when you beat him, you really beat somebody. But you knew he was probably only going to be able to give you an inning. And we talked about that on, on the Friday show. It's like, you know, they go through their best guys on Thursday, and you figure maybe they've got an inning or so in them on Sunday. That's exactly what happened to us. But – Hunter Hines, our freshman All-American candidate, leads off with a walk. So now all of a sudden, the tying run is at first. Aaron Downs then comes in and pinch hits, and uh, Quarter goes to first as a pinch runner. And everybody's like, well, why not Jess Davis? I don't know. I don't know. And it's not like Matt Quarter is uh, not fleet of foot. You know, Matt Quarter's pretty quick, too. You know, it's like I read these things, and at the end of the day, and we'll talk about this as the inning ends here, I don't know how much difference he would have made. You know, I, I would have put Jess Davis in, but I don't know what's going on with Jess. That, no clue. Yeah, and, I, and I'm a Jess Davis fan. I don't know why he's not playing more. He was my pick for center field here about a month ago. Um, we went down to Georgia, and he had a pretty good weekend. And I thought that would probably settle the center field thing, and now suddenly you know, Cam's out there. I don't, I don't know if Jeff Davis is in a doghouse. I don't know anything. I don't know why he didn't pinch run. But at the end of the day, I don't, I, I don't think there was a negligible difference between quarter – and Hines on what ultimately happened in this in this situation. All right, so Aaron Downs comes in. You know, with Tanner Leggett in the game, you know, our best bunter is already in the field. And then Aaron Downs steps in and lays down a near-perfect sacrifice. And so now all of a sudden the tie runs at second with less than two outs. we got to get the big hit here, right? Well, Kellum Clark strikes out swinging. And with two outs in the game on the line, Brad Compass steps up and hammers a single through the left side. Quarter comes around third, and you give Ware some credit. Ware from uh, Germantown High School in Mississippi. 
throws a near-perfect strike from left to home, and quarter is tagged out. And I've read these people like, oh, well, we should have done this, we should have done that. Sometimes you just got to tip your cap. And the kid made a great play. He absolutely did. And I hate it. And, I, and the first time I saw it live, I said, he's out. And then when I saw the first replay, I said, he's safe. Then they slowed it down, and I saw how close it was. I said, well, the, the, the call on the field is going to stand here. But we second-guess all this stuff, and this is what happens. We know it should never come down to that, but it did. But how many opportunities did we have here to drive in runs? And let's go back to running ourselves out of the inning. Let's go back uh, to making errors that allow those guys to get on base. You know, pitching wasn't our problem on Saturday. Offense was our problem. Now, it's magnified because you say, hey, we had a 2 nothing lead and we blew the 2 nothing lead. It should have probably been a four or five nothing lead. Then you go back again and you look, you know, when you give people base runners and you give them free bases, it comes back to get you. The winning run in this ball game got on base because we couldn't feel the ground ball on the left side. It's that simple. And again, I don't think RJ is 100%. You know, I'm not being critical of RJ. I'm just kind of, you know, you know, calling it for what it is. You give people base runners. In tight ball games, especially, you lose. And that's what happened. You know, and give Gonzalez some credit. You know, we jump on him. And, and here's the thing that I go back to as well. I, I don't care who you are or where you're from. I don't care what you know about baseball. I don't care how much baseball you watched. When you don't score in the final seven innings of a game, the chances of you winning are almost non existent. And that's what happened in this ball game. We hit two solo home runs in the second. And we don't score the rest of the game. And we lose three to two. That's it. You know, it's well, Steve, you know, the bullpen. It's true. It all works hand in hand together. But the complexity of this ball game is completely different if we go out there and get some time we base hits. And sometimes that isn't going to happen. That's the game, right? It's a very nip and tuck game. But let's go back and look here. You know, three runs on eight hits and one error for Auburn. Two runs, eight hits, and two errors for Mississippi State. Two errors in the in the decisive inning. Now, I, I just go back to all this stuff. And you look at it, you begin to ask yourself. You know, it's like, hey, Steve, you know, bullpen this, bullpen that. And there's truth in every bit of that. You, I go back to the seventh here. You know, you go back and look at all this. You, you, there are a couple of these singles that are basically friendly scoring decisions. You know, that ground ball between quarter and, and foresight, that's inexcusable. That's absolutely inexcusable. And even if you don't make the play at first, you can't not you gotta knock that thing down. You have to. It just absolutely I mean it just boggles the mind. And listen, I don't you don't expect everybody to be perfect here. You don't. You don't. But that but that just can't happen. That absolutely can't happen. And it all starts again, you know, with uh, you know, us kind of making a mistake. You know, we hit a guy, the next thing you know. That ball kind of rolls through there and just, you know, when it comes off the bat, I'm thinking we're going to turn two here. And we don't get anything and ultimately give up a run. I mean, it's just, it's the thing that really, 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 really gets to you. It really gets to you. But, um, again, you don't play clean, you don't score, you don't win. That's baseball. It's not good baseball, but it's baseball. All right, time for today's top 10 list brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. That's C-L-O-S-E 
with Blair, B-L-A-I-R.com. Blair Chandler is a longtime friend of mine and will be a friend of yours too. Many of you are somewhat familiar with the mortgage process, and you know it can be a very daunting task. Very, very complicated too. Uh, and so it pays to have somebody that's a mortgage professional, and that's what you get with Blair Chandler. 21 years in the industry. Guys, absolutely killing the game. Top 1% close ratio in the country, works for Fairway Mortgage, recently voted number one in customer satisfaction. Here's the thing, too. A lot of people lived on their credit cards during the pandemic. So you've run those, those bills up. Those balances are high now. As a result, your minimum payment is elevated. You're probably thinking, you know what, what am I going to do? I had to do what I had to do, Steve, to take care of my family. You know what? That's unfortunate, but that's the reality many people are facing. Look to consolidate that debt into this one low monthly payment. Consolidate that debt, refinance today with CloseTheBlair.com. And maybe you're looking to buy a home for the first time. Maybe you're an atypical borrower and you haven't had an opportunity uh, to have the dream of home ownership become a reality in your life. Blair can make that happen for you too. Let me give you Blair's personal cell number. Not an office phone, not an 800 number. You can call or text him today at 601-500-2344. Again, that's 601-500-2344. And if you mention to him, you heard about him on the boneyard, he's going to pay for your appraisal. That's about a $500 value. One less fee you got to pay. Very exciting stuff. All right. Today's top 10 list, you know, we've been on Mondays, we've been ranking the top 10 albums. Sometimes we do it other days too, but uh, try to do it consistently on Mondays when we can. And so I thought, you know, listen, who's somebody with an extensive catalog that everybody loves? Well, it's Prince. You may not know this. Prince has 42 studio albums, 42. Now, I'm not going to get real deep into the catalog into the, the later years. You know, back in 2004, Prince released three albums that year. Did you know that? You probably didn't. So I'm not as well versed in those. So I'm going to go with, you know, really kind of the early part of the catalog, the songs and albums, you know, and I'm going to rank them. I think these are the 10 best albums. And again, I haven't listened to all of the albums that were released towards the end of his life. And sadly, we lost Prince far too soon. I remember where I was the day I found out. It's one of those things you look at and say, man, how does this happen? Well, we lost him. But let's celebrate his music today. Again, the top 10 albums, in my estimation, Let's start with the album Controversy, and we're going to go with the title track, Controversy. And this, Listen, Prince was originally kind of labeled kind of a funk artist, and then he kind of migrated more over to Top 40. I think a lot of it's just kind of finding your sound. Controversy, a great album, probably not as appreciated by many others, but again, the self-titled track, Controversy, off the Controversy album, is your number 10 song today. Number 9, Dirty Mind. And this, you know, that's one thing, too, about Prince. He was so provocative. He talked about a lot of adult issues. He talked about relationship stuff. Uh, very, very, very uninhibited, shall we say. The album Dirty Mind. I went with When You Were Mine. That didn't necessarily match with the Dirty Mind thing. Or maybe it does. But um, the Dirty Mind album is number nine with the track When You Were Mine. Number eight, his second album, which is self-titled Prince. And probably his first major hit here. I remember being just a kid, riding around and hearing this on the AM radio. Mom's driving around in the old Ford Fairmont, and we hear Prince on the radio. I want to be your lover. And he was one of the first people, too, 
in modern pop radio that really used the falsetto, and he used it here almost to perfection. That's your number eight song, I Want to Be Your Lover by Prince, from the self-titled album Prince. Number seven, off the Sign of the Times album, and this is when there began to be this shift. You know, it was Prince and the Revolution, then there was Prince, and Prince and the New Power Generation. But Sign of the Times, a very highly acclaimed album, could have gone with the title track here. I elected to go with one of my favorite Prince songs. This is one of those good timing songs in many respects. The lyrical content is a little bit sad, I guess. But I love the the track itself. And I love how this whole the composition of this song is just nearly perfect. It's I Could Never Take the Place of Your Man. It's a wonderful song. And uh, again, it's one of those upbeat tempo songs that really gets you excited about life. Very, 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 very good track. If you don't know it, go listen to it today. Okay, the album Parade is your number six album. This is another one that, um, with the uh, the New Revolution, one of the funny songs on this one is uh, Another Lover, Like a Hole in My Head, or You Need Another Lover, Like a Hole in Your Head. That's a great one. Didn't, didn't make our list today, but a really good one. We went with Kiss. You don't have to be beautiful to turn me on. You don't. That's your number six song, Kiss, from the Parade album. Number five from the album Graffiti Bridge. Another one that uh, very, very well received, sold a ton of records. And this, to me, I think, too, when Prince kind of proved that, uh, you know, he, he was legit here. You know, was it's um, one of those albums, too, that I think a lot of people look at. This is, I think, the first album with the New Power Generation. I think. I can't really remember, to be honest with you. Uh, New Power Generation is one of the songs. Thieves in a Temple, a phenomenal song. I elected to go with um, a song, actually, that was uh, co-written and performed by young Tevin Campbell, Round and Round. That's the, uh, the track here. So, Round and Round, Tevin Campbell and Prince teaming up on the Graffiti Bridge album. Number four, this is uh, a phenomenal album, really, from kind of start to finish. And I remember when the album came out, the cover the cover art was, was such an innovation they were like it was like this um kind of like a sports flick card kind of 3d looking a lot of big out songs on this album diamonds and pearls of course cream is really good i went with get off that's your number that's your number four song get off from diamonds and pearls number three and i think most people would agree the top three albums are the top three albums i don't know that you would find too many people that would complain some might some might I really loved the number three album, Around the World in a Day, which was the follow-up to Purple Rain. Very highly and um, anticipated album. Did really well, went multi-platinum, and did relatively well in relation uh, to Purple Rain. I don't know how you build on Purple Rain, one of the greatest albums uh, of all time. But we went with Raspberry Beret because I was working part-time but a five and dime my boss is mr mcgee too the song pop life is good america's really good too paisley park is great around the world in the day is pretty interesting uh but raspberry beret that's a song that everybody knows number two the album that uh really in many respects i think really brought prince to prominence there were a lot of people 
They weren't exactly sure what to make of Prince, and I think this album, which followed Controversy, was one that really legitimized Prince as a headliner. There were five singles off this album, uh, Let's Pretend We're Married, Automatic, Delirious, 1999, Little Red Corvette. One of my favorite songs on this album, which was originally released as a double LP, is a song called DMSR. I didn't use it as my number one song for that album. I went with Little Red Corvette, which is an incredible, incredible song. And one of those songs, too, I think in many respects is, is pretty much timeless. But that's your number two track from your number two album, the 1999 album. And the number one is the Purple Rain motion picture soundtrack. It's one of those movies, too. It's like, you know, that they the music is the, the huge part of the movie. You know, it's about Prince's life in many respects, somewhat autobiographical. And uh, you may be cool, but you'll never be as cool as Prince was when he's singing The Beautiful Ones uh, at the club there. And there's uh, Apollonia sitting by Morris Day, and he points at her and says, uh, so what's it going to be, babe? Do you want him or do you want me? Because I want you. Very, very powerful moment, the movie. If you're unfamiliar with the movie, I, I encourage you to go watch it. It is absolutely, absolutely brilliant. Love everything's about it. Um, and so, um, so we went with When Doves Cry. Could have gone a number of different directions here. Every, every song on this album felt like it was a single. And a lot of it was because of the motion picture itself. It's like there, you remember all these great moments in the motion picture. You know, Let's Go Crazy was great. Uh, Darling Nikki was one that caused a lot of uh, controversy itself. It was part of the uh, PMRC uh, Tipper Gore campaign because everybody loved that album. And then there was a song in there, you know, Darling Nikki, that was uh, risque, to say the least. And people were like, I would have never bought this for my child had I known that there was going to be uh, this song on here. And so they say, hey, parents should have warning labels on these albums. So there you go, the top 10 Prince albums. And uh, there may be some albums that he released later on that I might absolutely love that I'm not as familiar with. And so maybe we'll, we'll jam some of those on the next big road trip. But, uh, you know, Prince is the guy, too, that uh, had all this uh, legal trouble with his record company, you know, they felt they had too much control. And he became the symbol, you know, rather than the name and uh, began to release albums on his own website for free because it was all about the music to him he'd already made his money obviously and there were a lot of people profiting off his work that maybe didn't deserve to and so he made a lot of changes he and George Michael were the ones that really took on the uh, you know the pop music machine the record companies that were basically you know kind of you know treating these artists as indentured servants and, and Prince made a big big statement one time when he, he went out there with slave written on his on his face and this big photo shoot and it was really about protesting the fact that he didn't have more control over his own music. And then once he got control of his music, he began to release music with much greater regularity. And I think a lot of it, too, was he didn't have somebody, some record company producer telling him, hey, this isn't any good. He could really be true to his own art. And an absolute musical genius, one of the most important musicians in the history of American music. Uh, so I think it's fun to get excited about, and I think it's fun, too, to celebrate you know, Prince, because here's the thing, too, is like, um, you know, I was a kid in the in the 70s, and there were so many people that weren't quite ready uh, for a guy like Prince, who was uh, very, very open about sexuality, he dressed so flamboyantly, and um, 
he didn't really care what his critics had to say. There a lot of people out there like, well, there's this and there's that, and Prince just was true to himself and true to his art. And I think we look back now and we look back and realize that we were, we were experiencing the genius of Prince. And I don't know anybody that doesn't really like Prince. I mean, Prince is one of those guys that really just kind of transcends all genres. He's just Prince. You can say, well, he was a funk guy. He was a top 40 guy. He was kind of a rock guy. He was an incredible guitar player, too. I don't know if people fully appreciate how good he was on the guitar. Uh, you go back and listen to some of those riffs, like on uh, Got the Look and uh, Let, Let's Go Crazy. It's just some phenomenal guitar work in there. The guy was a, a genius. He was, in many respects, kind of a savant. But what I loved most about Prince wasn't just his style, wasn't just uh, the character he used vocally, but he was a guy. He was a guy that was legit when it came to being true to himself. And he told his message and did what he wanted to do and made things happen the way that he wanted them to happen. And then the world kind of rejoiced when he did that. It's, uh, it's incredible to think about the catalog. And you begin to think 42 studio albums. And it's just absolutely phenomenal to think that somebody has that much creative genius with them. There are so many people that get lucky and have one hit song or even one hit album. But Prince is a guy that had an iconic career. And a lot of this happened around the time Michael Jackson was growing up. And Michael Jackson, it's so funny, you know, Mike was con, con, kind of considered family friendly, and Prince was not. And then in the end, you know, I guess 85 is when you know, Prince kind of ruled the world. Michael Jackson did in 84. Uh, but in some respects, they were kind of rivals, and their value systems were completely different. And, of course, in the end, it was Michael Jackson, of course, that was uh, kind of thrust into all of this, you know, controversy about so much about his private life and not Prince. It's funny how life works out. But the reality of it is, you had the king of pop in Michael Jackson, and in many respects, Prince was just simply the king. All due respect, that was Presley, the king of pop music, I guess you could say in many respects. But um, it's, been, it's incredible to go back and think about uh, the, the music that was created in our lifetimes. All right, let's take a look around the Southeastern Conference, look at the weekend that was in college baseball. Uh, this segment of show brought to you by Campus Bookmart. I was there on Saturday, and uh, they didn't have a lot of signed books left, so I signed a bunch of them. So they have signed copies of all five books. And so if you're in there, you can get the books, along with some great Mississippi State merchandise. Every time I go in, they've got something new. I love going in there. I never know what, you know, what I'm going to spend my money on. There's always something really cool there. Uh, and so if you can't make it to town, visit them on the World Wide Web, and they will, they will sell you books online, too. Go to campusbookmart.net and use promo code BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that stands for, again, Beautiful Steve Robertson. Gets you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order less than $50, absolutely incomplete. I had a little bit of a brain fart there thinking about taxes. But, uh, but here's the reality of it, is that uh, you're looking for Mississippi State merch. It's always best to shop local. I encourage you to do that. And uh, the, the fine folks at Campus Bookmart are an institution. An absolute institution. All right, so let's take a look at the SEC. Uh, let me give you the standings, then we'll look back at the weekend. In the SEC East, you know, Tennessee lost two games last week. I don't know if you're aware of that. They lost uh, to Tennessee Tech in a midweek game, and it wasn't a bad game. I wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't have played that game under those circumstances. It's really a neutralizing factor. And then they lost the first game of the series against Alabama. Now, all this controversy, too, about Tony Vitello. And let me say this. I think that the, the punishment for Tony Vitello getting ejected and then bumping into official deliberately 
is warranted. Four games actually might be a little bit minor, but when you consider the fact that we're in SEC play and that he is going to have to miss Friday and Saturday against Florida in a big series against the Gators, it's pretty significant. Now, I commend the Tennessee fans, though. You watch a ball game yesterday. They're out there chanting CTV for Coach Tony Vitello. They love that guy, and he's made those guys nasty relevant. Again, number one team in the country again, and they'll probably stay here for a little while. And, and honestly, I think when you, if you look at the Arkansas thing last year, we knew they were going to drop a game or two down the stretch. You look at this Tennessee team and the schedule that's ahead of them, you think, you know what, these guys can really have a gaudy record entering the tournament. The number one seed in the tournament rarely wins, though. I don't know if you guys are aware of that. Rarely, rarely wins. Uh, but Tennessee, of course, uh, you know, drops to 14-1 uh, and one in the league with that loss to Alabama. But still, well ahead of the rest of the field. I mean, they have got a five-game lead on Georgia uh, to win the SEC East, which would give them uh, you know, one of the top two seeds in the SEC tournament. And I just don't think Arkansas can catch them. Georgia, tough weekend for those guys. They're now 9-6 and six in the conference, 26-10 and 10 overall. You know, still not sure what's going on with Jonathan Cannon. And that, that is very significant to them. Very, very significant. You know, we went and saw them. You know, Scott Strickland's always going to have good pitching. He develops guys. He manages them well. But you lose your ace. You don't get better as a ball club. Vanderbilt, now 7-8 and eight in the conference. Who saw that coming? Well, I think most of us did. They're just kind of an average team this year. I don't care what anybody says or does. That's just, that's just kind of who they are. They're just kind of an average team. I wish we played them this year. Florida now six and nine in the league. Florida and Vanderbilt went head to head over the weekend. Florida six and nine, 22 and 14 overall. And they drop out of the rankings finally. Uh, South Carolina six and nine, big series win for them this weekend. They're 18 and 17, one game over 500. And a team, too, that's really you know, expected to, to, to struggle down the stretch. They've still got some very difficult games left on the schedule. Uh, Missouri five and 10 which is the low mark in the conference. I don't know if you guys knew that. 5-10 and 10 is the low mark. There are three teams in the league that are 5-10, and 10, and Kentucky right there with them, 5-10. and 10. Uh, Kentucky, Missouri, both, you know, both of those teams are going to really have to hustle to get to Hoover. All right, look at the SEC West, Arkansas, 11-4. Huge weekend for those guys as they sweep LSU. 11-4, 28-7 overall. Is Arkansas capable of winning this thing? Yes, they are. It's going to be interesting to see how they play on a neutral field. Auburn, 8-7 and seven in the league. Of course, we take two from them on the weekend, 24-12. and 12. you got to feel like Auburn's in pretty good position right now to make the NCAA tournament. Uh, A&M, 8-7, a surprising A&M team doing much better than most people, including myself, anticipated. I, I do think Sloshnagel and uh, A&M will get it going down there. I don't know how much they contend, but I do think they'll be a much better program than they have been. But historically, if you look at the numbers, A&M has historically been a, very much an underachiever when it comes to college baseball. Alabama now 8-7. and seven. They get one from Tennessee, 23-14. and 14. Uh, you got to feel pretty good where you are right now if you're Alabama after taking two of three from Ole Miss and you survive a Tennessee series. You go to Knoxville and at least get one. LSU 7-8 and eight in the league. It's a game ahead of us, 23-12 and 12 overall. Of course, your Bulldogs 6-9 and nine and 21-16. and 16. So you begin to look at this in its totality, and there's not a big difference between – us and the third-place team in the league, Georgia's 9-6. and six. We're 6-9. Six and nine. We're three games back of them. But there is a host of teams with a losing record within the conference. You know, five of seven in the East is below 500 in league play. And then everybody else, like on the west side, outside of Arkansas, are 8-7 and seven or worse. Now, the last-place team in the West is Ole Miss at 5-10. and 10. 
Uh, not a surprise to us because we all know that Ole Miss is not good at sports. But 5-10 and 10 in the league, 21-14. and 14, And, of course, a lot of people are up chirping about you know firing Mike Bianco. I think that's crazy talk, to be honest with you. I mean, you look at what Bianco has done, you know, it is um, – it's pretty remarkable, to be honest with you. That, that's a program that didn't have a lot of tradition, despite what they want to say. And Bianco has basically ushered in the glory years of, uh, of Ole Miss baseball. But, uh, you know, we put a lot of pressure on those guys when we win an AFL championship, right? All right, so let's, look again, look at the weekend that was. Uh, Texas A&M and Georgia. You know, A&M goes in there on Thursday and wins 8-1. to one. Pretty big win considering that Georgia's used to winning. Georgia hits back on Saturday with a 4-3 to three win. Pretty big uh, win for those guys. And then on, on Saturday, A&M absolutely destroys Georgia pitching 23-9. to nine. You know, we went through that too, and that's even when they had Jackson County. That's the thing. We talk about pitching depth. You know, when you lose a guy like that, like Jonathan Cannon, everybody has to move up a little bit, and, and it hurts. All right, Ole Miss wins uh, on Thursday 9-1 over South Carolina, and everybody's like, well, okay. You know, we just really wanted the Gamecocks to get one. Well, the Gamecocks get one on uh, on Saturday, 4-2. That vaunted Ole Miss offense held it as two runs on, uh, on Friday. So now all of a sudden it sits up a rubber game for Saturday, and people are thinking, well, South Carolina will be out of pitching. And in many respects, they were. But they find a way to win 9-8. A very exciting ball game as South Carolina ultimately walks off and takes a series. This is an Ole Miss team that has been absolutely pathetic since they went to number one. They were overrated then. And I think the reality of the situation is kind of setting in. It is difficult, guys, to win of anything of, of a substantial nature in college baseball, especially in the Southeastern Conference. Your media relations guy can't do it for you or gal. They can't do it for you. You got to get out there and go play. And you get the best coaches in all college baseball breaking down your tendencies and your team week in and week out. And so there's all these adjustments that are made in the game plan. And, you know, Ole Miss, in many respects, you know, they, they need to face bad pitching and, and they need you to struggle against bad pitching. They don't have any pitching. And you, you look at, well, Steve, we're going to play Ole Miss this weekend. Yeah, we should. And I still expect us to take that series. Not just from a mental standpoint, but I just think Mississippi State's got a little more pitching. We just got to be able to survive at the end of the ball game. We need to be able to get a lead. We can't go be, you know, two one. We're not going to at our bullpen. We're not going to win games two one three two. We got to get some separation. All right, LSU goes into Arkansas, riding high as the number fifteen team in the country. They lose the the Thursday game five four. You think, okay, that's not to be totally unexpected. Well, then they lose four nothing on Friday. So Arkansas already has the series, and they go into game three, and they get the sweep six two. So LSU really struggled to score runs at Arkansas. I don't know if we expected that. I thought Arkansas would win the series maybe two games to one. Arkansas with a pretty emphatic sweep there. Pretty exciting stuff, to say the least, um, if you're Arkansas. And, again, is this Arkansas team good enough to win it? Yes, they are. Will they win it? That remains to be seen. Depend on matchups. Kentucky, 15-6 winners over Missouri on Thursday. Big, loud win there. For sure. And we're going to be headed to Columbia, Missouri soon. Pretty exciting stuff. Missouri hits back on uh, Friday with a 9-4 win to set up the exciting rubber match game between the uh, the two cellar dwellers in the east. And it's Missouri that wins. So Mizzou takes the series. 
really tough series loss for Nick Mangione in Kentucky. You know, I think Nick needs to make the tournament this year. Really feel like this is a year they have a team capable of doing that, but uh, has not worked out well for them so far. It had, like last year, they get off to a pretty good start, and then things kind of begin to fade. All right, so we had a couple other series that started on Friday, and that's Alabama and Tennessee, and Alabama wins uh, 6-3. Vanderbilt wins game one of that series 5-4. You think, okay, well, this is pretty competitive here. Interesting to see Alabama go in there and get that W. That's a huge RPI boost for those guys. I think I think they're a shoe in for the tournament. They just can't have a collapse here at the end. Tennessee gets back 9-2 on Friday, and then Vanderbilt an 8-6 winner over Florida. See, Vanderbilt's already taken a series. And Florida was riding high. You know, Florida is was very, kind of schizophrenic. They come back and they win yesterday. And if you recall yesterday in the ninth inning, Vanderbilt's down there last strike. Down two with a runner on, an 0-2 count with two outs. And uh, it's a home run to tie the game. Forces another inning. Florida wins it in the tenth, 4-3. And then Tennessee all over Alabama yesterday, 15-4. Very, very, very exciting weekend of college baseball in the Southeastern Conference, and it always is. It always is. All right, let's take a look at what's coming up here. It's going to be a busy uh, midweek, you know, and it tends to be. You know, there's no games today, thank goodness, but there are a handful on Wednesday, and uh, we'll look at those then. But let's take a quick look at Tuesday. Uh, Kentucky will be at number 16, Louisville. There's never a midweek game to look at and say it's a must win, but Kentucky needs the RPI boost. Stetson will be at Florida. Clemson will be at Georgia. And Clemson's been really good in the midweek. Bellarmine is at Tennessee. That'll be a bloodletting. Dallas Baptist at A&M. Dallas Baptist still hanging in there in the uh, top 25. They're at number 23. Missouri State will be at Mizzou. Jackson State will be at Mississippi State. Tennessee Tech will be at Vanderbilt. Be careful, Commodores. Don't let them talk into using wooden bats. Alabama State will be at Auburn. UAB will be at Alabama. That's just a good UAB team as well. SEMO will be at Ole Miss. UL Louisiana will be at LSU. And Arkansas State at Arkansas. So a lot of in-state matchups this week. How interesting is that? Pretty cool stuff. So it should be an exciting midweek. And there's a lot of baseball. It actually starts at 4 p.m. If you're just kind of sitting around the house and say, hey, I need something to watch. You can watch college baseball pretty much all evening as Kentucky will open up at 4 p.m. Central against Louisville. And then, of course, your uh, Diamond Dogs get ready to play uh, there at 6. So excited about that. You should be as well. Uh, we got to find a way to get a winning week out of this weekend, too. And uh, we'll preview, of course, the weekend uh, later in the week as we uh, get through the midweek and we'll take a look at those Wednesday games. And, of course, State just has a Jackson State game. And then we get ready to play again on Thursday. So another one of those schedules that uh, – you know, we we'll kind of mess with our heads a little bit. But, uh, you know, State's 14-2 and two in the last four years against Ole Miss. Uh, of course, we didn't play in 2020 and then didn't play the uh, the midweek game last year. Maybe my numbers are off a little bit. But either way, we've dominated the rivalry as of late. Got to keep this thing going, to say the least. But, um, you know, I think every weekend we figure a little something out. I'm just beginning to get very, very concerned about this bullpen. And there's a couple reasons why. You know, it's not just the fact that you don't have good arms. It's just you start having to stress the arms you have because you want guys to go longer and guys to pitch more often. And uh, we have kind of had a little bit of a cluster here, some arm issues here as of late. 
And that's one of those things, too, from a recruiting standpoint, you hate to see. You know, it's like, well, yeah, you can go to Mississippi State and get a chance to win a national championship, but you may end up getting Tommy John surgery, too. And so that's not the perception you want. You know, we didn't have those issues last year and ultimately won an AFL championship. We stayed healthy last year for the most part. It's a little different deal this year, a little different deal. You know, last year, of course, Bednar missed some starts early in the year, and people were all panicky about that, and he ends up being, you know, the best pitcher in the country the last month of the season. Uh, but the reality of it is is that uh, Mississippi State, you know, we're in the thick of this thing. We're still – we're not right where we want to be, but we're right where we kind of have to be in order to make a move here. we got to make some things happen. There's no doubt about that. Speaking of college baseball, let me remind you, too, my friend Brooks Bryan, very involved with this great group that's bringing this wonderful residential development to Star Wars Portico. And it's already here in many respects. Phase one is completely sold out. Phase two, under construction now. So you've already got some neighbors there. You know, it's a great thing, too, to, uh, to be able to be a part of – new construction nobody's ever lived there before you don't have to deal with any of that give brooks a call today at 601-416-8075 601-416-8075 and it's portico if i was moving to starkville that's where i'd move i'm already here and you say well steve why don't you move there now well yeah, I'm kind of entrenched where i'm at but uh, if i ever sell this house i'm going to consider something like that you know 1.1 miles from the mississippi state campus it saved me a lot of time and trouble and wear and tear on the car riding up down the highway uh, to get to, to god's country and maybe that's what you're dealing with now too and you maybe you live a lot farther out of here than i do you know i'm just out of town a few miles but uh, you may live down in jackson or over in birmingham or in memphis you say you know what i'd like to eventually retire in starkville or maybe i'd like to have a place in starkville portico is absolutely your best option you can start with a two-bedroom, two-bath home, go all the way up to a four-bedroom, four-bath home. There's absolutely no doubt about it. It's a great option for you. And, again, you get to have some say when it comes to, you know, picking out your lot, picking out your house plans. That's a cool thing, too. So instead of you having to think, well, it's not exactly what we want, you can pretty much get exactly what you want. Give Brooks a call today and make Portico your next move. All right, before we get out of here, let's take a look at what we have left. You know, we start, you know, start saying, well, you know, we've got a chance, we've got a chance. We kind of keep our fingers crossed. But let's look and see what we think is, is kind of realistic. You know, Dave Murray put out some numbers yesterday. Just, you know, we have played in many respects uh, kind of the meat of our schedule. The teams that we have played are playing pretty well. You know, you, you begin to think about the fact that you've got, okay, Georgia behind you, the number two team in the East. And granted, we played them when uh, they had their ace. Alabama may be the surprise team in the West. And I told you guys when we previewed, unlike a lot of people, I thought Alabama was going to be better. Many people picked them, I think, sixth in the West. I thought they'd be better. They have been. They're a gritty group. I like that Alabama lineup. I really do. Arkansas, we've made that trip to Fayetteville, and we get one out there. We've already gotten through our arch nemesis at LSU, even though that we didn't win a game there. That's going to haunt us. And then this Auburn team that is, was built to win last year and didn't is kind of playing above their heads this year. Worked the transfer portal hard and got some good players in, so good for Butch and those guys. And now we get to go to Oxford. And they're not playing well. They're the last team in the SEC West. But you can throw all that out this weekend when we get a chance to get together. And I'm going to tell you guys, too, for those of you going to be in town, I'm going to be doing – we're going to have a watch party at Hobie's on Main Friday evening. We'll be signing books. You can come by. We can hang out. We can watch a game together. Uh, Robbie Falk is going to be covering for us uh, that weekend, and then uh, I'll rejoin those guys on uh, in Pearl on Tuesday. All right, so 
let's say, what what is realistic? Now, every one of these series that are left on the schedule, you look at and you start thinking, well, we could win that series or we could get swept. And that's an uncomfortable position to be in, right? I mean, it's like, and even last year, the NAFL champions lost two out of three to Missouri. And so anything can happen in SEC baseball. We need some help, but we need to help ourselves. That's the thing. We're Mississippi State. We shouldn't have to depend on other people to help us kind of move up. We just win some games and the traffic will clear around us. Should we have a mental edge over Ole Miss? We absolutely should. But, you know, they, they still got Tim Elko. I mean, that's a guy, too. It's been a great late-inning hitter. And when they need a big hit, need a big fly to get some runs on the board, he gets it done for them. But this is a pitching staff that has not been very good. And if I had to trade right now, I absolutely wouldn't. I think Mississippi State starting rotation is immensely better than Ole Miss's. The issue is going to become when it becomes a battle of the bullpens. They're not any better than a bullpen than we are. They've got a couple of younger guys that have pitched it pretty well. But by and large, you know, Mississippi State should have an advantage when it comes to pitching. And that seems kind of silly to say, considering how much we've struggled. But if Brandon Smith goes out there and gives you the efforts you expect, and same thing for Presto and, and Cade Smith, if those guys can go out there and get you six or seven quality innings, you got to piece it together on the back end. You start thinking, okay, well, maybe Casey Hunt can get us some innings here. But, you know, guys like uh, – you know, Jackson Fristo, uh, you know, those guys got to be a little more consistent, you know. And it's not just Jackson. I mean, like we mentioned earlier, I mean, defensively, you got to make plays behind him. But when you start thinking about if you can get a quality start each of these days and then kind of survive, you got a chance to win the series. And I think – I do expect Mississippi State to win the series. Can we sweep? Well, yeah, we can. Do I expect it? No, I do not. It's so rare to get a road sweep. It really is, especially in a rivalry group. All right, then you go into Missouri, and you're playing the team that's tied for last in the East. Now, if we can't get up to go play this series after those guys came and embarrassed us last year, we don't have any business in the tournament anyway. And the same can be said for the Ole Miss series. These next two weekends, we're going to play the last place team in the West and the last place team in the East. If we're going to make a serious move, this is when it has to happen. Absolutely has to happen. And, again, anybody in the SEC can beat anybody. And you start thinking, okay, well, Steve, what's realistic? Well, you know, maybe maybe – you win both of these series, and maybe that's the best you can hope for. If you get a sweep, all of a sudden you're in great shape. You've made up some ground here. I do expect State to win both of these series. I don't think any of them are going to be easy. I don't expect to sweep either one of them because I don't think Mississippi State has to pitch in a piece it together three consecutive games. Unless somebody just comes out of nowhere and gives you a complete game or goes eight solid, I don't think there's any way you can sweep those. But let's just say, let's say we go two and one, two and one back-to-back weeks in the SEC. Well, now all of a sudden you start looking, okay, well, now we're, you know, now we've got 10 conference wins. Now you've got 10 conference wins, and, and you've kind of put yourself in a, in a, in a chance here. You've got 10 conference wins. You've lost two, so now you're 10 and 11. Still under 500, but you've got 10. That kind, of, that kind of sets you up, you know, for down the stretch to be able to kind of piece some things together. And, uh, and listen, there's still some really good teams left on our schedule. The good thing is, is that the most difficult teams that we're going to face down the stretch are going to be here at Duty Noble Field. Florida, you never know what to expect from these guys. And this is an offense that has not produced up to its billing. I don't know if it's draft-itis. I don't know what the situation is. You know, Florida generally in the month of May finds a way to get hot. So I'm glad that we get them here. And so you begin to think, well, Steve, can we win this series? Well, yeah, we can. If we do win this series, and again, I don't expect to sweep, but we've been in these situations before. I mean, I didn't expect us to to lose the series to LSU. We end up getting swept, and so anything could happen. When all of a sudden, now you're above 
Uh, I guess at this point now you're at 500. You're 12 and 12, you know, with two series left. All right, now you got to go down to play A&M. And, you know, we have played pretty well down there in recent years, and they have played pretty well up here. Last year, you know, we get the uh, – you get the series over those guys, but uh, it was nip and tuck the whole way that all staff was coaching for their jobs. Can we go down there and get the series? Oh, well, yeah, we can. Am I expecting it? I don't know at this point. I don't know what we're going to look like then. But let's just say we go down there and we get that series. Well, now all of a sudden, now all of a sudden you're over 500. Now all of a sudden you're starting to feel good about life. And then, of course, you've got that final series with Tennessee. And I'm going to tell you right now, we're going to be lucky to win a game. And the uh, reason I say that is just because of the fact that those guys, that lineup has such length to it. At some point, they're going to get you. You might keep it a competitive ball game, but once they get into the bullpen, those guys are going to swing it pretty well. And so I would say based on what we know right now, I mean, you've got a lot of toss-ups left to go. And would you really say that, you know, based on paper, the Ole Miss series shouldn't be a toss-up. But it's a rivalry weekend, so it's always a toss-up. There have been times they've been riding high, and we haven't been, and we've gone and won a series, and vice versa. You just never know how this thing's going to go. But Ole Miss is reeling. There is no doubt about it. They are a team that is really struggling in many respects. And uh, their fan base is kind of checked out. Uh, All of you that can get to Oxford, we encourage you to get there. I know that a lot of people are kind of allergic to going and doing that. But when you look at our road series compared to our home series, you know, again, you get – there's five series left. And your road series are probably the most realistic. And then your home series are against the most difficult teams. And so I think, State, in many respects, you get what you want. You kind of get a best-case scenario from a scheduling standpoint. And you, know, you run through these non-conference games. And you look at these and you begin to think, okay, we, should only, we shouldn't lose another non-conference game unless it's the governor's game. There's only four of those left. So you beat Jackson State on Tuesday – and who knows what happens with our midweek pitching, pitching in Pearl? Who, who knows? Uh, and then you get Samford at Samford in Birmingham before we go to A&M, and then you've got North Alabama. So you begin to think, okay, we should get at least three of those and maybe all four of them in a non-conference. So you start adding these things together, and you begin to realize that, uh, you know, the games are there for us to win. So – if you can find a way to win for the last five, you know, you've got a possibility to go nine and six down the stretch in the second half of the SEC schedule, which makes you 15 and 15. Do I expect that to happen? No, I don't. I'm sure we'll drop a game or two that we shouldn't. I think we've got to have at least 13 wins. And with our RPI, you probably need closer to 14. But the reality of it is, is there are winnable series out there for us. And let's just say, for an example, you know, let, let's say you go 12 and 7 down the stretch, which that would require you to win Florida's last five series and get a split, right? That puts you going 9 and 6 the last half. And then you go, say you go 3 and 1, that makes you 12 and 7 down the stretch. Well, now all of a sudden, you're 33 and 23. Not a great record, but you've got to find a way to get some help in the RPI. You need to, get, to beat the right teams, and you need some teams that you've defeated to have a chance. And so. Will we be a regional team at 33 and 23? Well, if, if you end up at or around 500 in this league, you're going to make the tournament. The good thing about this is, is that once we get there, and I still believe we do get there, and it'll be a really sad day if we don't, I think there'll be a lot of weight lifted off this team, and I think they'll start playing a little bit better. But the reality of it is, 
is when you don't have consistent pitching, you start making mistakes on defense because everybody plays tight. And when you don't have elite pitching, you start thinking we're never far enough ahead. And so you start pressing at the plate. And so what needs to happen at Mississippi State is we need to string some success together, but also, too, we need to relax a little bit. I think we have in some respects. I think we blew the Sunday game. And there's always one each weekend we say, oh, we let this one get away. And then, you, again, Sunday game against Alabama, Saturday game against Georgia, and then a Sunday game, a Saturday game against, against Auburn. Now, you flip those things around, it's a, it's a much different discussion today. But all that's behind us. Now, what we have to do is focus on what's ahead of us. Can we win four last five series? Can we? Yes. Do I expect it? No. But when you start looking at individual matchups, you know, people start counting. Well, we're only going to win, you know, 11, 12 conference games. Okay, well, well, break it down for me. Break it down and explain it to me. Let's not just throw numbers out there. You you say, well, you know, should Mississippi State win a series against Ole Miss? Well, we've won four in a row, so yes. Yes, we should win that series. Will we? I don't know. Should we win a series against Missouri, the last team in the SEC? Yes, yes, we should win that series. The Florida thing is really a toss-up because you never know. And so if you've got two teams that are similarly situated, I would favor the team that's playing at home. And that, that logic works at A&M too. A&M, Mississippi State, kind of similarly situated. So you, maybe you favor the team at home. And then, of course, Tennessee coming in, and I don't think anybody can feel good about that. I think you've got to hope to get one. And so, yeah, can we win four? Yeah, we can. I think it's more likely that we win three. So I think it's important to, you again, look at the schedule and take each series for what it is and kind of work forward from there. And then I think you can kind of get an idea of of how this thing should play out. Doesn't mean how it's going to play out, because remember this time last year, we're starting counting games and thinking, man, if we can just get a little help here and there, we can win the SEC. And now here we are a year later just trying to find a way to get to Hoover and trying a way to get to an NCAA tournament. Now, if the tournament started today, the Hoover, the SEC tournament was today, we're absolutely in. There's no question about it. You know, 12 of the 14 teams make it. And so then it boils down to what the tiebreaker would be between Kentucky, uh, Missouri, and Ole Miss. Think about that for a second. And that's the thing, real quickly, before we get out of here, look at that Ole Miss schedule. You know, it's like you begin to think, hey, is Ole Miss even going to make Hoover? And we say that, when we say it, it kind of comes off as a little bit of a joke and kind of a stab at those guys. They're 21 and 14 now, 5 and 10 uh, in the league. But when their people are saying it, you know, you're like, man, are we going to make Hoover? You know, uh, let's look at what's left for Ole Miss real quick. You know, of course, they will host us this weekend. And then they travel to Fayetteville. And the Arkansas Razorbacks playing really well. They host Missouri. They ought to be able to get Missouri. You know, but, hey, I mean, if I'm sure Missouri's thinking the same thing. Yeah, we got to go on the road. We can probably get those guys. Well, then Ole Miss has to go to LSU, which has kind of been a house of horrors for them. And then they get A&M coming into their place. And so you start looking at this and you begin to think, okay, should they beat Mississippi State? Well, no, they shouldn't. They shouldn't beat Mississippi State. There's a lot of history there. And, and of course, things trending. Uh, Mississippi State, I think, is actually improving as a ball club, where Ole Miss is actually regressing as a ball club. You know, we go back and just begin to think about this for a second. You know, they go number one in the country. And then they get swept by Tennessee. They beat, win a series against Kentucky. They get swept by Alabama. And then they lose two out of three to South Carolina. They're regressing. We're improving. So, yeah, should Ole Miss expect to beat Mississippi State this weekend? No, they should not. Should Ole Miss expect to go into Bomb Stadium and, and win a series against Arkansas? No, they shouldn't. You know, Missouri is a toss-up in many respects. Should, should Ole Miss expect to go into LSU and win that series? No, they shouldn't. And should they expect to beat A&M? That's a toss-up. 
you know, at this point, if you're an Ole Miss fan, do you look at these five series remaining, who do you expect to beat? You can say, well, Missouri, but then you look at the records, are nearly identical. And so when I look at our, our final stretch, I'm more optimistic, and I'm more optimistic by nature, but I can understand all the angst from Ole Miss people. And so we need to go out of their misery this weekend and go win that series, whether it be 2-1, whatever, whether we have to throw a position player, whatever we got to do, we got to find a way to win that series. And that would be not only a big lift, I think, for us emotionally, but also helping the in the RPI. But I mean, this is an Ole Miss team that's really struggling, and you start doing the math on this and say, okay, well, they're they're expected to lose three of the five, three of their last five, and let's say one of those is a toss up. You know, they could conceivably lose four of the last five series, and it's not either of them a possibility. So they could lose all five of them. You start thinking about that, and I don't think Keith Carter has a choice. My goodness. You know, you lose the last five. Let's say you end up 10 and 20 in this league. My word. You're 10 and 20. I didn't count the midweeks. I mean, you start thinking about that. You know, it, having about 35 losses on the year. That's rough, man. That's a potential losing season. It's unheard of. All right, let's get out of here. Thank you guys so much for your support. Again, on Wednesday, we'll recap what happened on Tuesday night and all and are all are over the SEC, and hopefully it's a big Mississippi State win. And uh, I look forward to being back with you guys. And, uh, again, uh, I'm off to beat a little bit this week. Got a tattoo appointment tomorrow evening. I hope to make it back for postgame. I can't promise that. And then, uh, of course, uh, there is uh, the Ole Miss series, and Robbie's going to go cover for us. And then I'll see you fine folks. Uh, they're down in Pearl. And so, again, if you're in the greater Starkville area this weekend, maybe you don't want to make a trip to Oxford, you're going to be around friends, uh, come meet me. We'll have a book signing and a watch party at Hobie's on Main. That's Friday evening. And uh, we'll sign books throughout the evening. And you can come by and sign books and have a cold one and enjoy watching the ball game with, uh, with me and Hobie. Again, that's, uh, that's Friday night at Hobie's on Main. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we'll make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.